Hello, world. You're tuned in to the Quick Start Podcast from the Repertory Theater of St. Louis. This is the podcast that takes you behind the scenes of the Rep's main stage shows with background and details you won't hear anywhere else. I'm your host, Jeremy Goldmeyer. Today, we've got a special triple treat for you as we spoke to three cast members from our current production of Mojada, Medea in Los Angeles. Maggie Bofield, Alma Martinez, and Cheryl Umania spoke to us about the play's mystical power and what it was like to perform as part of an all-Latinx cast and creative team. And we really have to give credit to the three of them. Maggie, Alma, and Cheryl were interested in doing the podcast together. Usually we just talk to one actor from the show, but having the three of them in the room together really added some nuance and depth to our conversation. This engrossing, one-of-a-kind play continues through February 2nd. You can get your tickets at repstl.org or by calling our box office at 314-968-4925. Enjoy the episode, and we'll see you at the theater soon. So, hey, welcome to the Quick Start Podcast, all three of you. Thank you. Thank Thank you very much. Could you each, in turn, introduce yourselves and say who you play? I'm Cheryl Umaña Bonilla, I play Medea. I'm Maggie Bufil. I play Armida. I'm Alma Martinez. I play Tita. We are loving the work that you're doing on stage right now. Could you tell us about uh, the opening weekend, how it went, how audiences were reacting? Oh, opening weekend was extremely exciting. Also, you know, coming off of two previews, um, we're, we're, we feel pretty warmed up and, and ready to go. But then for me... The, the minute, like, I went on stage, it became a different show for me from previews. Because <laughs> opening night, no, doesn't matter if you say, oh, it's just another show. Opening night is opening night. Mm. So there's this magic. There's this thing that happens. And for me, it was a, a different show than what previews had been and even rehearsal had been. But, um, but it was magic. I mean, you could feel the energy being in Missouri, being in front of an audience I'd never been in front of before in a different state for me was just really magic, really, really exciting. It was so exciting to see how immediately the audience responded to Tita's warm-up. <laughs> that she, she addresses the audience, the, the, the response that people had, the freedom of expression and laughing, in, in, in talking, in a way that's very, they were so involved. You know, um, I hope it's okay to say, you know, she says, she comes out and she says, buenas tardes. And then she says, excuse me, I said, buenas tardes. And the whole audience responds, buenas tardes. And from that moment on, I was, there was fire. There was electricity and fire. Um, And it was beautiful to feel like they were engaged in a conversation, you know, with a story that is, um, it's hard and familiar because it's based on a classic, but at the same time made so contemporary, you know? So it was exciting. It was an exciting night. We watched from the monitors. All the other actors that aren't on stage (laughs) were gathered around the monitors backstage watching (laughs) what's going on. Yeah. The, the opening, um, was again, as, as my, Dear, dear, wonderful colleague said, is is was quite exciting because it's our, our first sort of face to face with a new audience, and the play is by a Latino author, Latino themes, but universal themes, obviously. While we're here, that's Hannah's new um, mission to do universal themes and start discussions. So I think Luis, that's a genius of the playwright, Luis Alfaro, MacArthur Award winner, was to 
do an introduction that really made you speak face to face. The audience had to look at you in the eye. You looked at them regardless of who they were. And it's in English with some Spanish. So it's a way to kind of break the ice and really lead the audience into seeing that this is a Latino perspective, a Latino perspective on Medea, a Latino perspective on the immigration issue, and an American perspective, Latino-American perspective. So it's quite the, in, that's the brilliance of the opening, I think, because he breaks the ice. Yeah, it gives them permission to become a part of that yes. conversation and not just watch it from a distance, right? Yeah, and if we speak Spanish, don't feel alienated. That's just another way of, of expression, you know, so, yeah. yeah. It draws them into the world of the play. Absolutely. Uh, when each of you read this play for the first time and maybe like got to the end, put it down, what what was the feeling? What was your reaction? I actually saw it first, this rendition. I saw it at the public um, <clears throat> in New York City where I live. So it was very different than what we are actually doing here. Mm. He was there. He made it a version that was actually a bit more catered to the actor's in it, it was the same story. It was just slightly altered. Yeah. Um, and I was blown away, blown away. Yeah. Um, yeah. It was. It was heartbreaking. Yeah. And I ask this question be in in this way because Hannah has told the story many times since she programmed the show about seeing it at Oregon Shakespeare Festival and just being stuck in her seat mm -hmm. after the show ended just processing and you know they're like cleaning up and she's still there she's still in the moment with yeah. that play this play um really takes people on a journey and we say that about a lot of plays right but it, it's a literal and, and metaphysical journey you go on when you see the show and it leaves you in this incredibly intense emotional space so i can only imagine what it's like to perform it to be in it yeah um when when i first read it yeah that you know that monologue Medea's monologue is, is just so graphic with the pigs and they descended on him and all, mm. that, all that juicy stuff. It's just, it, it, I couldn't wait to read the, the Greek tragedy. So before I came here, I, 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 made, I, went to, I kept on looking for it in different libraries in L.A. I finally found one. They gave me it with all the tragedies. It was a huge, fat book. And I read Medea. Medea. And, you know, in that version, it, it really talks about how she feels. It really goes into detail about Medea's feelings right off the bat how I, I wish I had the quote but basically you know, she feels less than zero she's mm. just base been stripped so that really helped me because it, it it just really depicts how she's feeling in that play how 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 stripped she's she's feeling um but yeah having I have two boys uh six and eight and so yeah putting myself in that space um it's, it's, you know, I can, if you have the love in you, you can also understand anger, pain, the other spectrum. Yeah. Because they're both kind of of the same, all our emotions, they come from the same cloth. So mm. intense love can help you understand what intense revenge can be or intense pain or intense hate. Yeah. Because it all comes from care, from loving. Right. So, um, so yeah, that, that, uh. That that was a connection for me with her, you know, that love of her kids, and strangely how that drives her to kill her children. Right, right, and you know, we'll say we'll say that's not really a spoiler because uh, right, right. this right. story's been around for <laughs> centuries. Correct. Correct. So yeah, I was talking about the Greek. So I don't know what's happening <laughs> in the <laughs> right, in exactly, ours. Yeah. exactly. Yeah. Um, 
Well, I I wanted to talk to each of you maybe in depth about each of your characters, if that if that works for you. Um, we already talked a little bit about the opening of the show, so I feel like we should go in order of appearance, right? Um, so let's let's talk a little bit about the woman who welcomes us into the world of Medea, that is Tita. Um, and, and Alma, I was curious to get your thoughts on the character. Yes, um, I know the play well. I was, a, I was part of the cast that developed it a few years ago, but I had never done the role. So I was very familiar with the play. And I had worked with Luis before on another project called Electricidad, based on Electra. And I did a similar role in that I'm, I'm the, the chorus. I'm the chorus. I'm the one that connects, hence the introduction speaking directly to the audience, and hence the sort of um, the storyteller in the middle of the immigrant experience. I'm the chorus that are the eyes of the community to the storytelling, which is an elevated story. I just want to make a, just a quick comment, if I may, about Electra. This play, Mojada, has murder, infanticide, adultery, and as all those elements are in it, but I want your audience to understand that this is based on a Greek classic. And ultimately, this is a play, even with all the darkness we're talking about, a morality play, as was Medea when it was written, you know, centuries ago. So it's a classic play, and I think he's done a beautiful job of updating it. But the audience shouldn't be deterred by some of the things you're hearing about the, the, the gruesomeness of it. Mm -hmm. It's a beautiful classical story, beautifully rendered. And again, my role is the Greek chorus of one. That's right. That's right. Uh, we, we get to the tragedy of it, but the opening of the play is such a warm uh, invitation into this community, into the world of East Los Angeles and Boyle Heights, and, and Tita's sort of our first um, glimpse of that. Um, how, ambassador. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> how, how, how has Tita um, maybe acclimated to America and kept her traditions alive in this foreign space? Well, what's interesting about the play, it, it emulates our culture. Even in St. Louis, yesterday I took my first kind of tour around the city. Oh. You have immigrants always do enclaves. I mean, even St. Louis was founded by, I'm finding, by a German community. Hence the beer, the breweries were the foundation of, of St. Louis. That's right. The immigrants, Germans came together. Now I went to Cherokee Street, the Latinos coming together. Hence this, Tita, like my parents, when they immigrated, we came to Waukegan, Illinois from Mexico. Like, what were we doing? We had uncles, and there's an enclave. So this, her acclimating is what's happening today. Immigrants tend to migrate toward their own communities. And within that, sometimes incredibly positive, you maintain your culture, your language, your customs, but by the same token, sometimes that's where you lose your kids because lots of times the economic boundaries of being isolated like that are, are too much, right. are too much for kids. And parents. So anyway, yeah. So that's why she maintains it, because it's happening now. It's happening now. They maintain their culture as Americans. Yeah. And you, you see it beautifully rendered, I think, with the sort of relationship that Tita and Medea form with Josefina when she shows up. Mm -hmm. And it's like we, you know, we all come from the same place. And, and for Josefina, this is, you know, maybe the first time in a while she's been around her people. And so this sense of fellowship and community... Uh, grows in miniature on stage between the three of them. It's mm -hmm. it's really heartwarming to watch. Mm -hmm. um, the other thing I want to ask you about Tita is is what I find interesting about all the women in this play is that they've been forced into sort of this no win situation, right? The the cards are stacked against them societally, um, but each of them possesses so much power 
and there's more than meets the eye to each of them. What is there underneath maybe the surface that people should know about this character? Well, this particular play really is the tension between modernity and ancient knowledge. I mean, that's at the source, that's what it's about. Modernity is saying women have to adapt and act like, in the case of uh, our fabulous <laughs> antagonist, you got to adapt. You have to become more like men. You have to be more capitalistic. While by the same token, we're trying to maintain the old knowledges of ritual healing, positive energy. Medea is not able to ride both lines, so hence leads to her demise. But the play is about the tensions of modernity and people who do not necessarily embrace it, but not, are not of the modern world. And if you are not of the modern world, you are behind and underdeveloped. So in our society, which is you know most powerful developed nation, probably in the history of the world, what we've not done is embraced ancient knowledges. We see them as less than. Hmm. What the reality is that they're as strong as, if not stronger, because they have centuries of longevity and will last beyond modernity. Modernity changes, crashes, but not ancient knowledges. And I think that's our challenge as a contemporary society is to meld the two and embrace the two. So I think the play ultimately is about that. Excellent, excellent. Well, let's move on to Medea and, and talk about the, the situation she finds herself in at the top of the play. Maybe, Cheryl, you could tell us about um, at the top of the play, where do we find her? What, what's her headspace? Well, at the top of the play, um, yeah, she's already, she's already on shaky ground. Um, she's, she's already lived three lifetimes before that. I mean, everything that's happened leading up to being in this house, in this prison, um, she says, I don't want it to feel like a prison, but it feels like a prison because the moment she crosses the border, that's what it becomes. That's how she tries to survive is just staying in this home and protecting herself, trying to heal everything that happens to her leading up to coming to Los Angeles. So at the beginning of the play, um, she's already trying to survive, trying to survive what's going on in her mind, in her heart, what she's been through. And she's starting to see little signs of, of um, betrayal with Hassan, with her son, um, with the community, just all these little signs. And I don't want to give too much away either, but uh, just these little things that are betraying her, her culture, what she's trying to to cement what she's trying to, she's trying to um, guide her child and, 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 and keep those traditions, keep those customs, and that they're slowly being stripped away um, with the shoes, with the, the, her shirt of, of, of the Mexican uh, soccer league, all of that. Small things, but little by little, she's, she's losing all these, uh, she's trying to hold on to something. And um, so it's just a, just a demise, a slow demise. Like death by a thousand cuts, right? Yeah, yeah, mm. yeah. Death by a thousand cuts. I love yeah. that. Yeah. Exactly. Um, and that trauma that she goes through before arriving there, I mean, it, it, anyone would just crumble with what has happened to her um, leading up to her being in Los Angeles. It's, it's really to, it's just to crumble everything that's happened. It's amazing that she's even functioning and that she's able to, to sew and to, and to be a wife and to have some, some happiness um, at the start of the play. Which says a lot about her, how how she's how she's trying to um, to be strong and, and to and to still be part of this family, part of this world, and Hassan's dream. 
Right, right. Yeah. And that's the inherent tension we, we very quickly discover, right, that Hassan uh, very much wants for himself and for their child to assimilate. Yes. Uh, as as fully as possible, and Medea is not so enthusiastic about that, um, and so we see that play out over over maybe the first half of the play, right? That right, that right. there's this push and pull, and it's really about, I think, it's really about a con, right? And 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 what what kind of life is he going to lead? Right, and the person he's going to turn into, um, yeah, what is he going to carry on from Mexico, from Michoacan? He he's my son. He's our son. So it's it's that that hope for this child to be of us, to be mine, he's my <coughs> child. Um, and so that need, that, that love, you, I, I want him to carry that forward and everything I'm seeing is, is being stripped away from my son. He's not a can from Michoacan, from, from Samora, who knows about the banana leaves, all of that, the food, the customs. Um, you want your children, your family to carry that on. It's, it's part of a just inherent human uh, need to carry on your tradition, carry on your love, everything, and so this one little person is not is being stripped of it from my husband, from the whole community, which I have no power over because I can't step out of my 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 yard to see what's going on, to see who the enemy is, to see. I can only imagine what's going on outside. So when he returns, I just see these little glimpses of what's going on out there that he's being influenced by, and it's terrifying. It's terrifying. Right. Right, because yeah. she's she's neither here nor there. She's sort of stuck in limbo almost in right. in this space. Yeah. Um, yeah. You know, you mentioned the the trauma that she and her family undergo in the journey from Mexico to America, and we as an audience get to see that reenacted. And I, maybe I can bring Alma back into the conversation here. I was curious about how um, you and the director Rebecca Martinez went about choreographing and staging the the journey, the monologue that Tita gives that uh, recounts. What happened on the way here? Yeah. Well, Rebecca's been amazing, an amazing leader, and she's um, kind of just told us to rely on the word. The words say so much, the words. And that's what I remind myself as well, too, with the plays, that the words are there. Luis, I thought it was brilliant. And and at first we had, sta- we had staged a more stylized uh, version of that, and, hmm. and then it, it kind of morphed into, uh, you know, just small, small physical pictures. But really, I mean, with the way Tita... Uh, and Alma, the way she delivers these words with her amazing, grounded voice. I mean, you, you everything you need to, to understand and get, you get through through that voice, through her voice with the words. So there, you know, even with, um, you know, some of the more violent, uh, the violent parts of that monologue, um, you know, with, with violence against women, we all know what that is. We all know what we need to imagine. We all know what that pain is and we don't need to relive it or see it again on stage or even hear it, hear it vocally. And I was happy when Rebecca made that choice to just rely on the words because um, we know what that is and, and the audience doesn't need to, uh, you know, it, sometimes your own imagination your own, will, will feed you even more than actually visually seeing it. So, yeah, and I'll let Alma chime in on that, yeah. Um, I think just as a reminder, I think in classical Greek tragedies and even Shakespearean plays, the violence is always off stage. The battles, the violence, the blood generally, it's all off stage. So which leads you back to the essence of it, it's the story. Now with regards to the that scene, um, Rebecca just gave us a lot of leeway. I think that's, an, that's a sign of an excellent director <laughs> because basically it's like, follow your instinct, listen to the word, 
And so what happens with an actor, when you have a good director like that, you feel free to do anything mm -hmm. and to change and to grow. And the opposite of that, which fortunately we didn't have as a director who already has a preconceived notion of what yes. it's going to be before they even cast. This is how I see it. But we had the opposite, which for me is a sign of a really great director. We feel like we own our roles, except for some adjustments. You know, I would, yeah. I would say, well, us to see Minor, a really gifted director, they're probably not. <laughs> but she makes us seem, so that's what I loved about the freedom of that. I felt like she was giving me a lot of leeway with obviously direction, but I felt that it was my own and not necessarily someone else's vision so I have a I feel a good ownership toward it which is again is just kudos to a wonderful director Rebecca Martinez yes yes there's there's clearly trust there and there's a sense of collaboration right yes, yes. so when you get to the emotionally difficult stuff right you feel like you're in safe hands and that you have something to contribute to it right and early on we get to the emotional difficult stuff you know in, in that big rehearsal room with Daylight coming in, this fresh, beautiful, and then early on, you're like in this dark, dark um, moment of the play. Um, but yeah, we did feel very safe. I felt very safe with everyone involved in the production. Um, you know, my fellow actors and with everyone on, on the other side, stage managers, everyone who's in the room always felt safe. Yeah. yeah. Okay. So let's, let's bring Maggie into the okay. conversation here. So... Medea and Hassan and their son and Tita come to America. There's already, you know, early on this tension about Hassan wanting to assimilate. And then Armida comes into the picture and, and is kind of kind of shows up like a wrecking ball. Yeah. <laughs> In my humble opinion. Um, um, I, I want to I talk about this, this complicated, interesting character and, and how she influences the events of the story. Um, and I want to start with some of the language that Luis Alfaro uses to describe her in the script, if you're reading the script. Uh, he has two descriptors of her that I want to throw by you. One is uh, La Mera Mera, mm -hmm. and the other is Truly a Signora. And maybe if we could go one at a time, how did you maybe interpret those descriptions and, and you know, what maybe what do those things mean literally and how did you interpret them? Well, it, I had seen the play yeah. at the public and it's interesting because the character who, they made that character Cuban to fit the actress who was playing it who was Cuban-American. Um, and I recognized her seeing the play. I recognized Mera Mera the, the 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 boss, the mistress of the house, the female top dog giving the orders with great a respected position. Yeah. And um and una señora, una mera mera is the like that's the female boss, but also very when I hear una señora, I think someone who is very um, cultured, very together in their presentation of themselves, however formal education they may or may not have had. There's a sense of dignity. And so that is how I read that. And, you know, this is a woman who came in her probably late teens to the United States, I think by herself, faked having a, a college certificate um, probably used all her feminine wiles, intelligence wiles, to make a place for herself. I mean, she says it in the play, um, you know, that she said, if I'm going to move ahead in this country, I have to find myself, I have to get me a gabacho. A gabacho is a foreigner. Yeah. 
Um, and so you see a human who happens to be a woman in a society where women are not supposed to have power figure out how to get power and how to acclimate and how to adapt, you know. Um, and it's not necessarily always a pretty picture because she gets to a position where she owns a company that employs undocumented workers of which she was one and does it in a way that gives them an opportunity to work but is potentially also exploitative right at the same time so this whole play it's just like the situation that's happening in the country obviously or, or the whole immigration situation it's not black and white it's it's there's so many different sides to it and even taking this role was difficult for me in the beginning because first of all women tearing down other women by taking their man or by not respecting them or you know um it was just i was like do i want to do i want to do i want to do this right now do i want to be a latina that breaks down other latinos even while supposedly giving them an opportunity mm. and i said yeah because you can't see this as just an evil character right and in my mind that's been my challenge to not just make her be you know the other woman who comes in and smashes down everybody right i would like to see her as somebody who's saying no look this is how this country works i'm here to Yes, I happen to steal a man. A little bit of a spoiler. But we know the story. Um, but I also, you know, I say things to, to Medea. Like, we, we don't need your shame. Mm -hmm. Yeah. You know, don't beg. In this country, you know, back home we're taught, you know, shame and humility. Humility and silence. That doesn't work here. It's a sign of weakness. Right. These are things she's had to learn. You know? And she also... You know, she makes her hair blonde. She dresses in a way that lets you know she's, you know, a powerful, sensual woman who's going to use her femininity as, as strength, mm -hmm. um, which is also a big part of this play. Right. You know, so uh, I'm really glad I said yes, and I'm so lucky to have been in this, in this particular version of it where evil and not evil are not so easy to point your finger at. Yeah. Right. You know, because everything's human. Right. Human. Th that's what I, I love. I'm so loving this conversation because, yeah, I think what's going on right now is that, yeah, the black, nothing is black and white. There's mm -hmm. a lot of gray. Yep. There's a lot of gray with what the American dream is, with what ambition is, mm -hmm. with how to, you know, the, the line of like when, when I get the, the, the money, Hassan gives her the money. And even I know that this is not how one succeeds in this country. Yeah. You know, there's the, there's a moment on stage when I think, ooh, like, I would just like to stop the play. Like, let's talk about this moment right now about <laughs> money, about economics, about jobs, about how it's not black and white. Everybody wants to be safe and everybody wants to succeed. And if we can just open it up for a lot of gray... I think we would we would be able to have these conversations easy, more easily. Yeah. The immigration issue, all of that. I hope that audiences come and see this story. I, they don't necessarily have to agree with what Medea does or with what with Armida does, how we do it and our reasoning. But it's just a story of seeing how, how a human being rationalizes what they do. Yes. And if you can understand that, why someone does what, what they do, then you can have compassion for that. 
because I can imagine a lot of people in the audience are, agree with that, me that, yes, you got to stop thinking like an immigrant because you're here in the United States now. That sentence right there is, is there are days of conversation about how we can rationalize that sentence, how, how we need to deconstruct that and, and see how that's painful for Medea, how that's, how that's propelled Armida forward. Yes. So I can see I, how, I, how people would be like, yeah, what is wrong with how Armida is behaving? Right. It's not black and white. Be- because if you think about Armida's journey and maybe strip some of the details out of it, it is the American dream that we're taught. Yeah. She comes to this country with nothing, with nothing but her smarts and, and carves out uh, a corner of it for herself and achieves success, whatever mm-hmm. that means, right? Mm-hmm. I'm using quote fingers when I say success for the listeners. Um, and isn't that what we're taught that immigrants should do in this country? But but this play is so great in that it, it shows you she's gotten far, but it's also shown the corrupting influence that just pursuing power for power's sake has on a person, mm-hmm. uh, regardless of who they are or where they come from. And the loneliness that comes with somebody who's mm-hmm. just focused on getting ahead. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, Hassan says... She is not so far from her home that she doesn't know she needs a man. And, and maybe it's a kind of a chauvinistic-tinged remark mm. that you need a man for certain things. Possibly it does speak about power and how you need a man to help you in certain parts of business, but it's also about the loneliness. You know, you need someone. You need someone to keep you company. You need someone to have heart. She talks to Medea and she says, Armida says, I see you... And I, I see where I came from, and I see you, and I think about the part of myself that I have lost. You know, how do you keep your culture while adapting to a new one at the same time in a way that gives you dignity? Yeah. And a sense of, you know, home, emotional, cultural, foundational home, you know? Um, so it's, it is complicated. And mm-hmm. for this audience to be able to literally be taken through a crossing going from one country to the other in such a gentle, gentle retelling, being able to know what it is that these people at the border go through on a very human level yeah. can, I'm sure, be difficult for some, but I also think it's, it's a beautiful gift that this play can give to those who are open to it, you know. My scene comes on right after that, and I cannot listen to that scene. Oh, I'm sure. No. It's, it, it is as much the American immigrant story as the stories that are more frequently told about Ellis Island and the pilgrims fleeing religious persecution. The difference is this is happening right now. And right. it's something that, in all of its ugliness, that we need to look at. And this, this play puts you right in the moment as it's happening. So uh, the, uh, there's no like easy way to segue out of that, but I was I was curious to maybe maybe I can come at it from this angle. What what was it like being in? Um, because this is an all Latinx cast, all Latinx design team, Latinx director, Latinx playwright. What was it like being in the rehearsal hall, working through the story, talking through this story, um, as a collective? Shorthand. Mm. Shorthand. It's um, whenever I work with Latinos, it's uh, we know. We feel we're, we're right away in the same world. And I think that's what draws all of them to the play. But it's just, and they're women. Most of them are women, I think. The, most people were in the design team. Shorthand. 
you know how much of a shorthand it is. When I was, I'm older, when I was 18, I went to go study in Mexico City at a very prestigious conservatory. Well, the set designer had gone through the same conservatory many decades later. Mm-hmm. So we, she's from Mexico City, been here, went to Yale six years here in this country, and we have connections. So those are the kind of connections I'm talking about that within the Latino, particularly the theatrical community, we don't get the opportunity to do this. It doesn't happen often. That's why I tip my hat to St. Louis Rep, Hannah, and all her whole team. Um, it does not happen often. And I think you're, you, what you're doing is you're creating a synergy that, again, it hasn't been replicated. And it's quite magical. It's an alchemy that happens. And we didn't know what to expect, but I believe that, that because what we all bring it's, it's a very unique, special combination and shorthand. We're all, we all know this. All of us know this story. All of our families have probably been through this, whether we're a generation or two removed. So I think that's the beauty of this. So again, I, my kudos to the company and Hannah and her team. Shorthand is a great way to put it. Mm-hmm. Uh, shorthand and such a sense of gratefulness for an opportunity that rarely happens as Alma said, that is founded on, a, on such a beautiful script that's obviously done with such intelligence and such love. Um, the process, it was really about process. There were, there were no egos in that room. What there was in that room was a love of the work and a sense of gratitude that it was being allowed to evolve in a way where each of us could offer what we had to offer. And that was Rebecca's direction, yeah. you know, where she really allowed each of us to bring our interpretation. Just such a sense of freedom with no judgment, which is not something Latinos in this country often truly feel on a general basis. Yeah. On a day-to-day kind of basis, many, you know, or just any culture that's marginalized. Or it's not even about, you know, or anybody that's poor. This, this was a process where... Um, and also just being able to flip into Spanish. Not everybody, almost everybody spoke Spanish. Not everybody totally spoke Spanish. But you had the freedom to just, you know, code switch. But you just yeah. had the freedom to break into Spanish. But you were able to, you know, and, and knowing that you were with a group of people that understand being able to play all different sides of, of you know, the cultural court right. <laughs> right. together, you know. Been there, done that. And it's true. Also, you know, people that, like, I'm first-generation Cuban. I mean, I was born here. I was the first one born here. Yeah. I was the American. And I am, for those of you who can't see me, I'm a very white Latina. Like, if you were to just see me on the street, you wouldn't think ethnic, per se. Um, And I was brought up in the Midwest, you know. Um, But my house was pure Cuba. Like, you were not allowed to speak English in the house, which, you know, it's my pet room. We broke that rule all the time. But, um, (laughs) you know, we ate all Cuban food. You know, none of my friends had ever seen a black bean when I was growing up. Um, <laughs> you know, it's true. They're like, why are those beans black? Those are the best beans. And I say, well, you know, because Cubans eat black beans. Rule. But being able to relate to the story with my parents' story. And, you know, and we had all different countries in the room. People from all different backgrounds. And then we have little Cole, who's nine years old. Yeah. You yeah. know, and his father is Mexican. Um, and he... Oh my gosh, he has just, seeing him brought into the circle, um, you know, I'll tell you, this is, this is indicative of what happened in that room. Uh, Cheryl 
asks that we, or she requested, and we all said yes, that we do a little circle every night before we tell the story, just to, to be able to take each other in. We hold our hands, and we take each other in, and we um, give gratitude for each other, and we try to, we, we just think about telling the story. Let's tell the story. Yeah. So we all hold hands. Whoever's in the hallway can join, whether you're a, an assistant, whether you're a production assistant, whether you're a designer, if you just happen to be walking down the hallway, Uber come driver, join the circle. Gonna, yeah. yeah, or, you know, just come join the circle right before. So give us together, we can tell the story. And little Cole, he's like, he's knocking on doors. He's like, circle up. Okay, everybody, come on. Come on. He is amazing. Yeah. So that's what happened in that room. Because what, of Hannah and leadership. The one thing I want to add, one word, the urgency. We all felt the urgency of the story. Hmm. Mm-hmm. That it that we we're telling this story now yep. in Absolutely. in this climate yes. with Absolutely. with what we're seeing in the news yes. and and bringing it to you in a, in a way that is much more visceral than just seeing it on a, a TV monitor at the airport, right? Yep. And right, funny, right. and funny. Let's right. not yeah, forget the humor. <laughs> forget there's that's hilarious. Funny. It's hilarious. <laughs> there's a saying that I love. Um, our toast says that a theater basically comes alive when the words is no longer enough. Meaning we can talk oh, about, talk that. about, talk about an issue. And theater is created when language is not enough. Oh. That mm. you want to go deeper. And I think this is an example of that. We hear the politics, immigration, the separation of families. Immigrants all over the world now. Now we have in Syria and Lebanon. And, but this is an immigrant story that's universal. Mm. But it happens to take place here on our, in the United States and Mexico. Long, one of the longest borders in the world, I want you to know between right. Mexico and the U.S. And there's, an, again, an urgency, but this is a universal story I'm telling your audiences. Mm-hmm. And again, we've talked about many dark topics, but this is a morality play, ultimately, a Greek tragedy. So it's really suitable for all audience members, mm-hmm. and I really urge you to come and see the play. It's really beautiful, timely, and a beautiful adaptation of a Greek classic. That's perfect. We can end it right there. <laughs> I, I mean, we. I have other questions. We can keep going. That's. I'm being slightly facetious here. Whatever that, you was want to do. that was amazing. <laughs> no, no, let's keep going. Um, well, you, you had mentioned, and I, I want to. Since we have so much talent and experience in the room, you'd mentioned this doesn't happen often that you get a Latinx team. Uh, telling, like almost never. Yeah, yeah. Telling telling your own story, and and so I was curious, just over the course of your careers. Uh, what progress has been made in terms of of seeing more of these stories on stages across the country and and how much further do we have to go and 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 maybe how do we push the envelope forward i feel like some progress has been made i'm an optimist as well (laughs) some progress has been made on tv um i think that the audience the audience is there but i think people um need to have better access to it um and I'm thinking, for example, the show Vida mm. and how it's hard for people to have access to the show. They are very bold in their storytelling, very bold. They're putting stories that are happening the week before, they're putting it on the screen. And um, that's an all Latinx you know, crew and, and cast, and they're breaking all sorts of boundaries. So I'm, I'm thinking of, of them and the wonderful work they're doing, but I'm not sure um, how the audience has access to that or how mm. um how to support that because it's very brave what they're doing um and i think you know i think people the public wants to see that stuff i really do i feel like 
we're all ready. The country's ready. There's, we have to go through the mud to get through it. We have to see it. Like you said, in all its ugliness. See the scene in all its ugliness. We have to see the stuff that scares us, that, that shocks us. We can't just rely on the news. We, we have to see it in our art form. It's a different language. It's so important to feel it that, in that way. Yeah. Um, so I do feel like some boundaries are being broken, but I, I, don't, I don't know enough about that uh, the reach, how to, how to get it out there. I think right. the powers that be need to push it more out. Right. So it's, so it's really on the forefront. Mm-hmm. And, and Maggie, you're a playwright as well. I am. And, I am. and so there, there's an opportunity there, hopefully, to, to share more stories, share, you know, I, I looked at some of the synopses of the plays you've written on your website, oh. and a lot of them have to do with, right, like your, your own personal Cuban-American experience. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, they, uh, they do, because, you know, you write about what you know. Um, and I was very fortunate when I moved to New York City to uh, be a founding member of Labyrinth Theatre Company, which started out as Lab, L-A-B, which is Latino actors base, and it was actually formed because uh, three, three actors... Um, Gary Perez, John Ortiz, David Devlinger, Paul Calderon, for a few others, um, were responding to Death and the Maiden, which is a, a Latino story, a Latino play, not casting any Latinos in the early 90s because they said there were no Latino actors in New York City. Mm. And literally hundreds and thousands of actors showed up outside the theater going, no, we are, excuse me, oh we, we exist, we exist. So they formed yep. this company that was for that. And it's come a long way since then. Um, I think we are a lot more as a country used to now seeing more people of color on the screen in front of us. And in the theater, it's actually taking a little longer in the theater. Hmm. Theater in general is not as much part of our culture as TV is. TV is in our house every night. And what I love about theater is that you're in the same room with these people at that night. So that's not something people do on a regular basis often because it's expensive and it takes time and it's not part of their culture. So, you know, I do believe it's getting better with people like Hana, the artistic director here, making it a point to present stuff that's different than what people have been used to and change is always hard, you know, and it makes people uncomfortable sometimes. Totally. But you know how it is, that discomfort quickly changes to, oh, wait, I know what this is, mm -hmm. you know, and it's just a matter of getting them, getting everybody in the same room. That's yeah. the magic of theater. Right. You know, so I do think it has improved immensely, but I think there's, there's, there's more to go. And I feel very lucky as a writer to be able to, you know, I don't know, have, it's just another facet of, of storytelling. Yeah. You know, um. Well, it's what you talked about earlier, too, and, and why I want to kind of frame this conversation of representation, not just as like filling quotas or, or doing it because it's the right thing. There is a synergy and there's a magic that happens when people get to tell their own story um, and, and have the shorthand that you talked about before. 
a lot of what you were talking about actually flashed me back to our Angels in America cast, a lot of queer members of that cast, and saying almost exactly the same thing. There were no egos in the room because we all cared so much about telling this story right because it's a story we all relate to personally in our own experiences. So that's that's what we, I think what we're really talking about when we're talking about represent, representation, right, is, is that um, the stories become that much more powerful and that much more rich when the people telling them have that lived experience behind them. Um, and it sounds like there was some incredible magic that you know, the magic we're seeing on stage is the result of the magic that happened in the process of preparing the show. Absolutely. And yeah. also the bar, the level of talent and selflessness, but the excellence that's on that stage. And I'm, I, I, it is inspiring to me every night. The journey that Cheryl goes through as this woman, and I know her now as a mother who adores her children and to put herself in this position imaginatively and to see how how truly she grounds herself in that reality every night is awe-inspiring it's awe it's it's awe-inspiring and it's and it's it's so incredibly beautifully human and female in a way that's that's you know i it's a gift it's a real gift and and to see the generational difference also to see the strength of tita who was sold to this family you know, and just to see the way Alma is able to, I mean, it's interesting because her name literally means soul, and she is the soul of this story. Having gone back so many years and seen, she's the one who brought up Medea in the story, you know, so it's the grandmother, all, all of our grandmothers, who are able to be so present but still have a hold of the past. It's, it's a privilege to be with that level of talent, that the bar is set really high. I feel and thank you for sharing that. Yeah. You, you, this has been such a wonderful chat. I also feel the need to be like, okay, and now let's just talk about something light and fluffy. Right? <laughs> I know. So where should we go eat? Yeah, I right. I was blonde wig. <laughs> so I'm a blonde. Um, no, I, I was curious about how you're enjoying St. Louis so far. And you mentioned going to Cherokee Street and like, what what are you guys seeing? What are you guys checking out? Uh, what are your impressions? St. Louis is cold. It's colder <laughs> than LA. Mm-hmm. And December yeah. was was warm though. It, there was a day where it was a little like Oh, summer. we're we're having a very mild winter. Yeah. yeah. This is you you kind of lucked out honestly. I think so, but I think this week it's getting yeah, right. We're getting a, a real taste of it, maybe. Uh, but I heard Poppy's is the place to go, right? We okay. So the barbecue oh, debate in St. Louis can be pretty intense. Like, dun, dun, dun. like so, so Pappy's is like the established okay. place that a lot a lot of people love, and I love it too. I'm not I'm not picking sides here. I'm just saying, uh, Pappy's is a big one. Uh, Sugar Fire has its following. Uh, Beast is kind of the new kid on the block. They were oh. over in Illinois. Uh, and now they're in the Grove here in St. Louis, mm. and uh, Salt and Smoke is also extremely popular. And I'm like leaving out several barbecue joints whose fans are probably gonna like <laughs> come at us. But th- there's like that's just like the tip of the iceberg is what I'm trying to say. A lot of great barbecue in St. Louis. So I've please. got Pappy's down. I was there yesterday. You went? Oh, you yeah, yeah, was it? it? So Run. I don't. Well, I have to compare it to the other four. Okay. So I have. I'll we'll let you know. Oh. <laughs> but we also went to the hill. So we're in. I mean, it's it's really fun. We don't have that much time off, and now that the show's open is when we can start exploring. Yes. You know, so we're open to suggestions. Um, yes. But we um, want to go to the Grove. We want to check out the yes. Grove. We went to the hill. 
Mm-hmm. And had Italian and had the baked ravioli. <laughs> the toasted ravioli. Yeah, yeah. Toasted ravioli, yes, right? Yes. Oh my God. You're it saying it's not toasted, it's fried. No, no, it's <laughs> let's be real about what it is. I, I think toasted ravioli just rolls off the tongue more. Toasted ravioli. Well, okay, and here's the other thing every restaurant on the hill is going to claim like they're the ones who invented toasted uh-huh. ravioli. There's a bunch of stories about how, you know, it was like it was an accident or it was just someone, <laughs> you know. So I think the, the actual backstory is kind of muddled, but it's definitely quintessentially St. Louis. So I'm glad oh, wow. you got it. Wow, yay. And I had fried corn on the cob, Ooh. which is fried corn on the cob. Uh, yes. Yeah, so Ooh. yeah, not roasted corn. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so yes, yeah, very unique St. Louis, actually. Oh, yes. But everyone's been really friendly, and I'm excited yeah. to see more of the, you know, I've only passed by the arch, but I will Yeah, going we haven't there. gone up yet. Um, we saw a little bit of blues, a little bit. Yeah. Right? At, at, um, where did we go? Uh, it was it was at the Broadway Oyster. Yes. Broadway yes. Oyster Bar. Yes. yes. We had some blues there, um, but yeah, we we needed more jazz, more blues, right? We, that's right. Yes. That, yeah. Yes. Yep. Our 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 composer made a point of yes. going to music David, events yes. every night. Yeah. Or often. Didn't no. didn't David also get a gig? I heard he got yes. two gigs. <laughs> yeah. yeah, how did what? Okay, yeah, tell yeah. me about because that. Because he, because he he's he's a, he's a musical beast. Yeah, he he just <laughs> checks out the and whole. And he's scene. an audience with his guitars. I'm like you with the guitar, get he up ch- here. Yeah. Like, that's yeah. what he does. Jamming, yeah. He went to the dark room. He went to yeah. Uh, I don't remember the other ones. Lots of plays, but we were in the in the thick of rehearsals. So yeah, you, we we couldn't join him. He just totally starts understand. talking to all the music. He's got yeah. a whole musical base now in St. Louis, which is another amazing thing. Yeah. Right? <laughs> and we spent Christmas with Cole's parents, oh. with his family. Oh, that's so wonderful. His sister yeah. and his yeah. other little brother, and they're two beautiful boxers. Boxers, are they? So they were so wonderful and took us into their home. Also, some uh, another family also had a welcome dinner for us, yeah. subscribers uh-huh. as well. And mm-hmm. that was lovely. It's just It's been from the beginning yeah. with the cast. The cast became family um, immediately, and then just... Just feel I'm just so grateful, yeah. grateful for the love that we've received. Being here over yes. the holidays, you know, that's yeah to be taken in like that. Yeah. Yeah. That yeah. well, I mean, Cole is clearly a wonderful kid and clearly was like yeah. raised right, so I'm not yes. surprised right. that yes. they were super welcoming. Oh yeah, that was really nice. <laughs> and really. Cheryl's two boys and him and his brother. You know, Christmas Eve night, they were just immediately as they met, and they were like, little gang. They were over there doing their own thing. Uh-huh. Like cousins, it. like immediately, like uh-huh. we were like They held their own, they had their own country over there by the video games. <laughs> and the, yeah. Know. Yeah. Yeah. Really nice. Excellent. Well, we're so honored to have you here. You guys have talked about, you know, the honor of, of doing this show. We are, we are honored to have this collection of talent here telling the story um the show continues through february and and please continue breaking legs please continue bringing your whole selves to this uh it's so appreciated thank you thank you thank you thank you, thank you so much